You've heard them before, the stats about millennials. More outstanding debt than any previous generation, half the net worth of our parents at the same age, and as of 2016, making up the largest share of households in poverty. We're the generation who came of age during the 2008 recession. We struggled to find jobs, delayed having families, and are the inheritors of the climate crisis. But this isn't the whole story. Because despite our prospects on paper, two out of three of us describe ourselves as happy overall and use the word meaningful to describe our lives. We value experiences over products, love over power and money, and feel time spent with family, friends, and serving others brings purpose to our lives. So how is this possible? How can we stay optimistic in the face of so many obstacles? Turns out, we're a generation of faith. Because while we're called the most unreligious generation in history, we're deeply spiritual. 80 to 84% of us believe in a higher power, and almost 80% of us report feeling spiritual peace or well-being weekly, monthly, or several times a year. And here's the kicker. 76 to 86% of us report feeling wonder about the universe weekly, monthly, or yearly, more than any other generation. We may not be attending shul, church, or temple, but there's no denying we feel a deep connection to something bigger than ourselves. And that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I'll be talking with millennials about faith, hope, and what, from God to Google, they put their trust in, in an uncertain world. And they'll share the everyday spiritual practices they turn to to keep them grounded through it all. So join us as we take on the big spiritual questions you've been asking your whole life, but never had anyone to talk about them with. Until now. Because how do you stay optimistic about the future when you feel jaded by the fate of the world? You find a little faith. This week, he was raised Protestant, whereas I was baptized Catholic, raised Catholic, and my whole family is Catholic, and they practice. So I think that's where it varies a little bit, where he doesn't necessarily have that um, foundation where I do. And we have had disagreements earlier on about if we were to have children, how would they be raised? And we were working on compromising that out. When Jen Lochran told her Protestant husband she wanted to raise their future kids Catholic, she knew there'd be conflict. But what she worried might draw them apart brought them closer together. Jen and I talk about navigating spiritual difference and her faith in shared values over shared beliefs. And she talks about her search for a spiritual community that bridges the faith she was raised in and the beliefs she holds now. And she reflects on how growing faith in uncertainty has helped ease her struggle with anxiety. Because how do you navigate life when you have more questions than answers? You find a little faith. I'm Marin Smith, and this is Keeping Faith. Keeping Faith is located on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabek people in Hamilton, Ontario. 
and Jen Lochran lives on Seneca Haudenosaunee territory in Buffalo, New York. What is giving you hope right now? Is there a story from your life recently or something that has happened that has connected you with your sense of faith or hope? So when I'm thinking of this question, the easiest answer is always my faith. Um, I don't consider myself a religious person per se. I would probably say more spiritual, but I am raised Catholic, so I tend to go that route. Yeah. Um, So having faith and just knowing that something else is out there, something bigger, um, because I don't necessarily say it's God. God is the easiest way to define it. So I'm not like the best Catholic because I don't say it's God all the time. Um, But I know just something out there is there. So that's where I usually end up going in terms of having hope and keeping my faith that way. But more specifically, I think about my husband. Um, I would always consider him like my beacon of hope. Anytime I'm having a bad day or anytime I'm like losing my way, he just like brings me back in. Sometimes he's the reason why I'm losing my way, (laughs) but most of the time it's because we can sit down and have a real conversation about my faith, about me losing hope or vice versa. So I think he's always that like grounded element for me. Yeah. Um, Do you find that the two of you have similar ideas about faith and spirituality or are you very different? I think in some ways we're very similar because he also doesn't put a label to his faith, I think. Um, He was raised Protestant, even though baptized Catholic, um, but never practicing, whereas I was baptized Catholic, raised Catholic, and my whole family is Catholic, and they practice. So I think that's where it varies a little bit, where he doesn't necessarily have that um, foundation. Yeah where I do. And we have had disagreements earlier on about if we were to have children, how would they be raised? Because I thought that having, um, going to Catholic school was a huge part of how, how it defined me. Mm -hmm. Um, and he had a different way of being brought up. So it was always important to me that if we should have children, I need them to go to Catholic school because it's not the same as just going to religious class like once a week. Um, and we were working on compromising that out. So sometimes it's the same, but sometimes very different. Um, but he's willing to search with me because right now we haven't found a place to really practice or know what we want to do. So he's open to trying new things. And I want to go to a Protestant um, service and we both have been to Catholic masses. So just kind of testing it out, but he's willing to do that with me. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because you kind of already went there, I, I'm i curious about the way that you were brought up then and what your experience of faith was like in your family and what what you were taught about faith, but also what you were taught about the world as yeah. a part of that. So like I said, I was brought up Catholic. Um, my parents are both Catholic um, I'm, and then like their families as well. Um, so I went to the same pre-K through eighth grade Catholic school. I went to a Catholic high school. I went to a Catholic undergraduate school. Um, so like literally have been taught about faith almost every day of my life when I was younger in school. Um, we went to church every week. We, I don't know, we just, we were, we were Catholic. <laughs> um, you know, I would go to confession and my priest 
you know, would listen and do what he needed to do. And then afterwards would say, oh, tell mom and dad I said hi. Tell Nana and Papa I said hi. I'm like, there's no anonymity here. But <laughs> that was how close we were with our church. So mm-hmm. it was a really big part of who I was growing up. But as I've gotten older, things have changed. Not like where my beliefs are, but just my like active presence in faith. I'm not an active member in the church or any church anymore, which I have wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, Travis and I want to start looking at other churches and services that we can attend. But for me, now that because I don't feel like I'm like the best practicing Catholic, we are more open to more of a non-denominational service. I mm-hmm. think that would fit us better, fit me better, um, because I don't really know how to define define where my religion and where my beliefs really stand. I just know what I believe and I believe in something bigger than this, but I also miss like that sense of community in a church. Yeah, because you talked about how Catholic school, that being a part of your life was really important. Can you tell me more about what that experience was like and why that was so foundational for you? I'm not sure exactly the specifics of why because I've heard other people talk about their experiences growing up in school and like going to public school and they had like a great, you know, foundation too. But I think for me... Um, there was a lot of routine with it, which I am a very anxious person. Um, but when I was younger, I was a very anxious child. But mm-hmm. part of, I think, having a routine and things being organized was nice. So I knew what to expect for the most part. Um, this is what my day would look like. And I didn't have to think about clothing either because we had a uniform. So I had my outfit picked out for the day already. I'd go to school. We said our morning prayer. We did what we need to do. But it was always very structured. Um, I liked the relationship that we had with our teachers, with some of the... It wasn't where it was like old school nuns were like everywhere beating you with like rulers. (laughs) That didn't happen. Um, It was more progressive. But my school was really tiny so everybody knew everyone we were really close with our priest um some of the nuns and it was just like an an extended family Mm -hmm. so i liked that part of it it was you had the support if you needed it it didn't feel judgy the way i think it's viewed a little bit now and and i'm part of it but i think as i've gotten older there's more negative about being catholic and especially all the stuff that has come out with the catholic church but growing up as a child it didn't i didn't know any of that it was just i have my family and then i have like my school family too so that was nice to have yeah it was um it sounds like it was a cultural identity in the same way that it was like a faith a practice of faith as well like it was a part of how you associated in life yeah it never felt like I was being preached at um where sometimes maybe it comes off that way to other people or how it's represented in the media but it was just a way of living it was who everybody was and we were all in the same boat and you know my friends and my family but it was just our day-to-day life yeah did you have many friends that were outside of your faith Um, Not growing up as a younger person. Um, So I didn't go to public school, but a lot of the friends on my street did. So that was really the only difference. But even on my street, they most of them are Catholic. Um, Maybe not actively practicing and didn't go to church, but still had the same beliefs. So that made life easier when you're that young. I remember getting into high school where it was a little bit different because it was kids from all over like an area coming together and then even people on my street maybe like becoming more diverse so 
then it became a little bit different. Like I remember having a very strong conversation with a friend of mine who was like a born again Christian Mm -hmm. and then me talking about being Catholic and we just like went at it. And I'm like, this is so odd that we are fighting about this or having like a disagreement, but also we were both able to learn a little bit about each other's religion. And then even my um, cousins on one side, they were also born again. So it was trying to experience that world because up until that point, I had only gone to Catholic services. Yeah. I want to also just ask to clarify. So your high school wasn't Catholic? No, my high school was. Like, Oh, your like, high school was. Okay. Yeah. But like, you didn't have to be Catholic to go to the school. Oh, interesting. So okay. some, pe- some people were different. And I think even in terms of um, just forming your own personal identity, people were kind of exploring other things. So, like, there would be girls in my class because they went to an all-girls school. Um, Oh, I'm, like, thinking about being Wiccan or something like that. So I think that's where some of the differences were. Um, But that was more, like, just trying to find themselves a little bit and, like, trying to fight against being Catholic. Um, I think there was also, like, even within my own home, my sister, who's raised the exact same way with me, um, she was not the strong proponent of like religion I guess like I can't speak to her faith but in terms of like going to church or talking about God that really wasn't as important um it's also how we just accepted things differently um so as adults religion is still a part in me and I know like for her she didn't care about like getting her children baptized they are but it wasn't like the priority where I'm like oh my gosh you have to do it immediately um I think the catholic guilt that people talk about has been very much instilled in me versus my sister um so I feel bad about not doing certain things that catholics are supposed to do or told to do um even though I may not do it I feel bad about not doing it so what was the process for you then of coming from this very ritualistic based on a schedule predictable faith tradition in a community that was very close and tight-knit to then moving you said your high school got a little bit bigger and then college got a little bit bigger what was your own process of like you know wrestling with your faith through that I feel like it didn't really take a change until after college because even in college I went to a Catholic school, primarily Franciscan, where I thought actually that it wouldn't be such a big piece of my life then. Um, But I ended up joining the campus ministry. So of course there's going to be faith around that. Um, And then I was in another club, which is has a different name now, but it was Students and Free Enterprise, SIF. Um, and the moderator for that, like the professor that ran the club, he was very faith-based. Um, so we would team up with campus ministry or other clubs and go out and do like service missions and things like that. So I think that even for like a brief period of time in high school where I stopped going to church and not necessarily because I wanted to, because I started working and Mm -hmm. I had to work on the weekend. So that became a challenge. Um, But college actually made me get back involved in religion a little bit more. Um, But then after college, I think was where the separation started to happen in grad school and then moving away from Buffalo and moving away from my family. I think that's where I started to see more diversity. Until you leave something, you don't really know what's out there. So when I moved from Buffalo to Las Vegas, um, it was a whole new world. So I met 
a ton of different types of people and there was a lot of different religions blended and I went to non-denominational services. I went to Baptist services. Um, the people I associated with, some of them were still very strong in their religions. And then there were people that it was never a conversation. I would have no idea what they believed in. Um, but I liked that. We, it wasn't, that wasn't the focus. And also just the diversity of like racial, ethnic minorities and differences there brought me into like a whole new world. So that became more of a focus versus just like what my religion was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where would you say you fall now? Hmm. So that's all. <laughs> Everything's challenging. I'm, I feel like I'm trying to find myself again. I think yeah. I started that path a little bit a few years ago, um, trying to figure out what I truly believed in. Because when I started going to a non-denominational service for the first time, and that was in Vegas, and it's not like we went all the time, but it was just something different. I started questioning again, like, should I be going somewhere? And Travis and I had talked about it, and we never specifically found a place, and we moved a lot, so that kind of became my excuse, like, well, we don't know the community yet. And then moving back to Buffalo, it was still like, well, we don't have a house yet, like, let's get situated. And now we're situated, and we have had conversations, like, we need to try out places to figure out where we fit. So that's where I'm at right now. I want to find a place where we can go and practice however we want to, but we just aren't there yet. But I get uncomfortable when people ask me like, oh, where do you go to service? And I'm like, I hate saying that I don't go. So I say that I'm still like, I'm looking for a place because we are just getting situated, but it makes me uncomfortable when I say like, oh no, I don't go anywhere. Um, my parents go to a church and I've thought about going there, but I really don't care for their church. Um, and I want to find something that's me driven versus like my family. Yeah. So it's really just a, it's a process right now to figure out really where I'm at because I don't put a label to what I believe in. And sometimes it's hard to categorize what I believe in. I just know I believe in something like I know what it is and I don't really have the definition for it. Yeah. It's a felt sense as opposed to one that's verbal yeah definitely <laughs> yeah totally. like if you're in my head you might know but sometimes I'm I don't know what's in my head either so it just it's definitely more of a feeling yeah can you say a little bit more about what feels important for you about being a part of a church community or why that is a desire that you have I think part of it is because of how I felt when I was younger. Like I was saying, there was like that extended family where I could go to for support. So if my parents weren't available or my friends or whoever, I could go to a teacher, I could go to my priest and we could have a conversation and I would feel comfortable with that like any other person. Um, So I think that's part of what I'm missing. Not that I don't have that now because I have friends, I have family. I think it's just having an additional outlet to have. Mm. Um, and I think it's part of it is also just because it's what I'm used to growing up that I feel like I'm supposed to have it. And maybe once if I should go into that realm again and I do end up having it and realize this really wasn't for me, maybe that might happen. But I think I need to have that as an option also because right now I feel like I'm missing out on something. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting and I think it's I think I think it's difficult sometimes for people when they step away from the faith that they were brought up in to give themselves the freedom to try different things. 
you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's, I just think it's really impressive that you're giving yourself the space to do that. And you're being patient with yourself. Yeah, I feel like maybe a little too patient. Because <laughs> this has been going on for years. And I've had even conversations with my parents about like, I don't know what I want to do or where I want to go in terms of practicing. And they're okay with it. They're not pushy, which is really nice to have that support from them um, because they are, I mean, they still go weekly and they do what they need to do. And my mom will say, you know, I'm going to church in a couple hours. Okay, tell God I said hi. And she thinks it's funny and laughs and whatever. But I know part of her is wishing like I would go with her. Um, So I think she misses that connection because we always used to go as a family together. And then obviously we grew up and lives changed. But um, she is supportive of me not having to go or not wanting to go ever. I think it came up more when it was wedding planning time because I didn't have a Catholic wedding. And that was something I wasn't really sure about. And some of my friends from high school were like, I can't believe you're not having a Catholic wedding, especially knowing me. And it had come up as a possibility. But my priest, who I had grown up with, like he was retired because he was getting old and he was sick. And I'm like, well, if he can't do it, then I don't care who does it or if I'm in a Catholic wedding at this point or have a Catholic wedding. So I think that was harder for my parents and my grandparents to accept um, because everyone was really surprised that I didn't. But ultimately, it was still my choice. And it didn't come down to religion. It came down to I'm super anxious to be in front of a lot of people and a Catholic mass and a Catholic wedding will take forever and I can't do it. (laughs) So that was more the reason versus um, the like faith-based reason. Yeah. I'm also curious a bit about... You touched on it at when we first started talking, but your your thoughts around how you want to raise children in relationship to faith, because I think that's something that like a lot of people our age were at that stage where we're having families. And I think it's a really interesting question. And there's a lot of options in the world now. We have a lot more freedom to practice in different ways. And so I'm curious as to what you're how you're working through that. Um So that's a hard, super hard one, I think, because Travis and I have not technically settled on anything specific, but I think more so because it's still not unrealistic, but it's, it's not there yet where we have children. So we don't have to make a permanent decision, but when we talked about it previously, like, and when that's when we were pretty much set on having kids, well, they have to go to Catholic school for me. And then Travis talked about what his life was, you know, having his group of friends growing up in public school. And I and I see his relationships that he had with his friends and how they are still super close. And maybe I'm not so close with my friends from school, but it was a different type of connection. And I just, I really did love grade school. I loved high school. I loved college. And I loved that connection that I had with people. And sometimes it was because of religion and sometimes it wasn't. But I think it at least gave me the foundation of what religion was. And I, and because I didn't go to like the religious classes on the weekends or whatever that was, I can't say what it could provide, but I know what going to a Catholic school was and what that provided me. So it's it's still really important and I would want to have my child if we have one to go to Catholic school at least at least in the beginning they can make their decisions I think as they get a little bit older but I think to just have that initial education on what religion is what being Catholic is and having that I think I would want and I don't think 
Travis is opposed to it. It's more about the availability. So depending on where we lived, is it a good school district? Like we're thinking more logically versus religiously or spiritually. Um, And I think that is probably going to have to be the driving force because if it ultimately comes down to religion, I just... I just want a Catholic school. But they're really few and far between in my neighborhoods now. Like my grade school has closed. Like two other ones have closed because it's just not, it's expensive. And um, all the negativity that the Catholic religion has had on them, that people are kind of leaving the church and losing faith. Um, So it's a little bit different. So there's not a lot of great Catholic schools around to begin with. So I am curious then about how did your faith influence your decision to go into the work that you have gone into? So in my undergrad, I took a lot of like psychology classes um, and you kind of learn about just human behavior. And then when I got into grad school, I ended up going the route of substance use and it was just kind of by accident in terms of my internship. That was never my plan to work with substance use. Um, But there's a lot of religion when it comes to like substances, substance use, substance use treatment. Um, We kind of go away from the word addictions now, like things are just, language has changed. But, you know, 12 step programs are really faith-based. So they talk about a higher power and you follow these steps. So there was never like a break, I think, from faith at that point because working with patients that were struggling with substance abuse went to 12-step programs. They were just, it was kind of just the thing they had to do in addition to treatment. So they went hand in hand talking with that. Um, So it wasn't surprising, but it was surprising to me that I went into the like substance use world. I was never expecting that because I had no knowledge of that on a personal sense. Um, But when I got there, I was worried and then realized, it's okay because it kind of still, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. I know that there is a very strong social justice arc to the Catholic faith as well. There's um, the belief that like what you do in the world acts also matter. And so I was curious if there was any influence of that, of wanting to provide service in some way that influenced your decision. I think just growing up and who I am, it was always in me to just listen to people, to sometimes give advice, but to always just be there that someone could come to me when they struggle. So I thought, I'm pretty sure that's how I just ended up in this field. There was no one like pushing me to be a social worker or to be a counselor in any way, but no, it was never a surprise that this is the field that I ended up in because I, I do want to help people. I always wanted to help people. I think I'm pretty empathetic with the patients that I had worked with and I have, I'm just there to listen. So I think that's kind of how I fell into it. Yeah. It also strikes me like you're kind of saying that like the act of going to confession and then having a (laughs) listener and then. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like pretty much the same thing and there's confidentiality. So I'm not going to go out and tell anybody else what you're saying to me. Maybe there's no like, um, you know, behind the, like a screen protecting their face. But ultimately what anyone has to say to me, I keep it with confidence unless there's like a level of um, safety. So 
it does kind of match in that way too. And I think, you know, I, I knew better never to put my religion into a conversation during treatment, but if a patient wanted to talk about it or talked about their faith, it was a coping skill that I could use with them and use it to my advantage because it was something I was very familiar with. So if praying was a way to help you cope with the struggle times that you're struggling with, let's practice that. Let's we could pray, but I would never bring it up first because you don't know what people believe in or what who you're going to offend. But when people talked about that in my own head, I'm like, oh, I this one's easy. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm interested in, or I'm interested in the idea of how faith relates to healing, because it strikes me that. In order to heal, you have to believe that you can get better. And in order to work in a field that, you know, helps to heal people, you have to heal or you have to believe that people can yes, get, get better. better. Yeah. Um, this is a tough to believe that people can get better because I truly 100% believe that people can get better if they want to. So you have to instill belief and hope and faith in that person for that to happen. Um, although I don't like to settle with definitives. I am not like a definitive person. So I typically don't believe in a hundred percent. So the language out there now is like recovery. Um, I don't like that word because recovery to me is different than what people think. Um, I view it more like remission. People can get better. They can make good choices. They can make healthier choices. They can stop using but are they 100% recovered from that problem or that issue? I don't think so. I think it's always a part of them. And at any moment, there could be a slip up. And that sounds really negative And like, why would I ever want to even try? Because, because there is something better out there. Um, so when I was working directly with patients, I wasn't trying to sell recovery in the sense where you'll never have any problems again. Because that's also disheartening when they have a slip up. But then then they have to make the decision, do I keep slipping or do I make the choice to get better again? So that's always something that I talked about when I was working with patients that you will struggle at times and then you can get back up and keep moving forward. Um, But life is always a struggle. Yeah. I think that also is really like, that's speaking to like the balance between faith and doubt. Uh, Whether that's self-doubt or doubt in something bigger than yourself, it's still it's an act of faith to get through that doubt. Um, so I'm curious as to like how, yeah, how else you help support people through doubt and maybe how you work through doubt in your own life too. I think in the beginning with doubt, when it comes to working with patients in this field, there's going to be a lot of doubt because you don't know what to expect and not even know how other people are going to relate to your new change of life. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's all normal. So it's always normalizing that for someone else that you're not the only one going through this. Um, You, there will be bumps in the road and you just need to ask for help when you can't do it by yourself, I think is the biggest part of it. But there's always doubt if you don't have doubt that actually scares me more because you're so confident that you're probably going to slip up Mm. sooner than later um and to give example like without giving specific examples but i've had a lot of patients that have stayed healthy that have made good choices and did not return to using and then i've had patients that did have slip ups and maybe just continue to go down um a harder path i've had people 
not directly when I had them on my caseload, but I've had people die and hear about people overdosing. And that's also a different part of that story. But that there is a chance those things can happen, but I've seen more successes than um, not. So that gives me the hope to tell other people that it's possible to get better and it's possible to have whatever you define as recovery. Um, so I think I can use those experiences for other people. For myself, when I have doubt, it's a little bit different. Um, in the moment, I think, you know, I struggle and I get anxious and I worry and I ruminate on things. And then I try to get back to reality and realize, do I need to be worrying about this right now? What am I doubting? Is it me that I'm doubting? Am I doubting a process of something? Um, So I just have to kind of just look at it a little bit different from a different lens. And sometimes that means bringing in Travis to kind of help me figure out what way I should be looking at at it because I can't always do that on my own. Um, So usually when I'm really doubtful of myself or a situation, I have to bounce those ideas off of him and we talk about it. And we have a lot of like our dinner chats, I feel like are the best conversations that we have because sometimes they really get like philosophical. Um, They're just not like, oh, how was your day? Um, But we talk about life. We talk about work. We talk about doubt. We talk about hope. Um, So I think he always like kind of brings me back to if I'm truly doubting something because maybe it's really not working and I need to do something different or maybe I just need to let things play out a little bit longer and it'll work out. So Sometimes I can't figure that out on my own. So having just another ear makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. Could you tell a little bit about the story of how you met Travis? Because it's directly related (laughs) to what we're talking about here. So we met at work. Uh, um, We met at a work training. I had just started with the company maybe two months in at that point. No, not even two months in. Like a month in, I went to a training. He, being Travis, was late. um, So he was the last one to walk in. So we were both in the back on different sides of the room. But as soon as he walked in, I caught his, like, he caught my eye. One, because he was late and I'm a very punctual person. Um, But also just because it was, he just caught my eye. Um, And I did the same for him. And we ended up getting paired up together for a group or team activity, um, which was really funny because it was how do you deal with anxiety, (laughs) Um, which is perfect for me. But we talked about just like watching like dumb movies to kind of get your mind out of the situation that you're in. And we just really hit it off. I think we just connected. There was something about him. Um, And then we got kind of called away to different people at the end of the training. Like I knew we were going to try to talk more, but Someone called his name, someone called my name, and it was like kind of an awkward goodbye. Um, but then later he kind of found me through a coworker, reached out, and we ended up going on a date together. So, but it was really nice to have someone that we had the same mindset in terms of like our professional goals. It seemed like we had like some of the same beliefs and just values. Um, so that it was nice to finally meet somebody. Cause at that point, I'm like, I'm just going to give up, I think. I think I'm done searching. Um, I was working in a clinic that had one other male counselor who was married. um, So he was not an option and also would not have been an option anyway. But in my mind, I'm like, this is the only place I'm ever going to be now, like home and work. And I'm never going to meet anyone. And I'm not going to date a patient because that's a huge no-no. So this is my life now. 
And then meeting him at a training, it was just kind of like, I finally stopped looking and there he was. Yeah. Do you, um, do you think that one of the reasons you were able to connect so fast was because you shared a similar work experience? I think so. I, I can't speak to his feelings exactly, but I think it was finally meeting someone in the same place that I'm at. Um, prior to that, you know, it was grad school and you're still like transitioning. This is my first adult career that I have. Um, we were just aligned, I think, in that way. Like we could, and it's nice now, even though we don't work in the exact same field, we could still come home and process things, what happened at work without giving too many identifying information. But he gets where I was coming from and I can get where he comes from. And when we are stressed about the patient interactions, the maybe loss of a patient or the struggles that someone is having, he can truly empathize with that because he had gone through it too. Yeah. And not everyone, not everyone gets that. Like you could talk about those stories to other people that aren't in this field, but they won't feel it the same way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I also am curious, you've talked about how you, you didn't come from the same type of background, you know, spiritually, and that you still are wrestling with what that means now. But you mentioned that you both had the same values and that that was something that connected you. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that and what maybe that is for you? I think for both of us, we just know, like, on our first date, he talked about his family. Um, he mentioned how he would do Friday night dinners with his dad and his sister. Um, his parents were divorced, but still having like a close relationship with his mom. Um, he talked about like his dad's extended family um, and all the different interactions that they had with one another. And that was the first thing that connected me to him because I am so close to my family. So even though it's very small, it was just knowing that he was willing to spend time with his family was a big plus for me because I do a lot with my family. We used to celebrate every holiday together. Any moment was like a holiday and we would come together and we'd have dinner or something. And his family doesn't necessarily do that as much, but it was still there that core family that they are the important thing in your life. So I think that brought us together. Um, That definitely attracted me to him. I think also just being honest, being ambitious, being like hardworking have put us in the same mindset. And it wasn't necessarily like, it was more about like bettering ourselves versus I just want to make a lot of money where sometimes that was a driving factor in other relationships and just interacting with other people. And yes, money is great. It's important. I want it. Um, (laughs) But it's not the number one thing that would keep me happy. And I think that was another thing that I think the things that we shared in common, those are the things, the same things that make us happy versus all that other stuff. Um, I think we are truly best friends and companions over anything else. And that's something that my parents have instilled in me. They've been together for almost 45 years. And my mom has always said, you can love someone and you can be passionate about someone, but until you can have that companionship and that friendship, it might not last. And maybe it will for some people, but I think that's where Travis and I um, see I I together because we are truly best friends also. And I know he has other best friends, but (laughs) I will say I am his best friend as well. Yeah, so for you, that was more important, those kind of matching values on a day-to-day basis. The friendship that you were able to cultivate superseded the need to have like 
exact eye-to-eye spiritual views. Yeah. Um, And it didn't come up immediately in terms of what his full spiritual beliefs were. Um, Like, it it did come up. I mean, I knew that his dad was one of nine raised in a Catholic family. Mm. What I didn't know is that, like, his dad would make jokes about, like, now being Catholic or, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to burn if I step into a church. Like, those things. But, that I mean, those things don't bother me. But I didn't not know that it wasn't part of uh, who he was as a child. But it didn't bother me that it wasn't because we had other things in common. And I don't like to force religion on anybody. And I don't like being forced into religion either. I don't like it when even, like, Catholic people want to get preachy with me because that's not what it's about. Um, so that was a nice thing, I think, also, that both of us were not trying to push our beliefs on either one of us. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a deal breaker. Yeah. That that is something you can overcome. Yeah. I think, I mean, ultimately, because I'm willing to try new things and he's trying willing to try new things, that I don't think it will ever get in the way of where we want to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I have one more question for you before I kind of get more towards the final things you've talked a lot about having anxiety (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you have worked with that through your life and what has helped support you through that because I think it's very common experience for a lot of people to have anxiety and not always know what to turn to yeah, I probably would say I'm in the best place now when it comes to coping with anxiety. Um, it's funny because yesterday I was having a conversation with my mom about what an anxious child I was, but because it wasn't mental illness and mental health really wasn't talked about back then, um, it wasn't identified like, oh, I have anxiety, but I'm just like a worried kid. I remember being in grade school, walking with the, one of my nun like teachers, um, sister Mary and she was like you're just a little worry wart aren't you and I'm like oh my gosh I am and then I worried about that um so I back then I just I just assumed I was just worried about everything and there really was no reason to worry my mom knew I was she would try to help me but there was never anything fully that worked I think I just eventually time passes and you get over it um as I got older it got worse And as I got stressed or busy with things, it got worse. So by the time I hit college, undergrad, I was really struggling with anxiety. And I went to school, I went to work, and that was it. Um, I mean, I had a life, but I really struggled to do anything more with it. It took a lot for me to go out with friends because... I was to the point where I would start to go out and then feel sick and then make up a reason why I had to go home. And then eventually I just didn't want to go out. So I honestly thought like, am I agoraphobic? But I wasn't because I didn't meet all the diagnostic criteria I learned. But it felt like that because I was so anxious where I would like lay on my floor, try to do deep breathing and it still wouldn't work or maybe it would only work for that moment. Um, Even meeting Travis, so this is after school, our first date, he, of course, was running a little late. And in my head, I was so anxious for it that I was hoping, part of me was hoping that he was canceling because I was so nervous to go on the date. I didn't want to interact with people because my anxiety was so bad. And for the most part, in front of people, I didn't want to show it. But I was 
really struggling inside. I eventually contemplated medication um, with my primary doctor, so I didn't talk to anybody because I still really wasn't sure what was wrong with me in terms of it being anxiety. Like, I'm just nervous. Um, And we tried medication for a week, and I'm like, I don't like this. I need to do something different. And my doctor was super hesitant about it. He's like, I think there are other things that you can do. So we talked about deep breathing and relaxation. And I am an awful person when it comes to relaxation. I was awful. So it didn't help then because I just didn't know a way to get centered. Um, I think I was still struggling with like just who I was in terms of my identity, where I wanted to go. Um, And then meeting Travis, it was still a struggle because when we left to move to Las Vegas, it was... I had to start all over again. So then my anxiety was bad again. Um, And then I got comfortable. I think, you know, it was our first time living together. We had to like learn about all of our little quirks and things about each other. And it was really stressful the first two years. And then once I was able to be me, like really be me, and for him to still accept me for who I was, um, the anxiety got less work was stressful so like sometimes it paired up with that where I was really unhappy at work back then and then my anxiety would get worse but coming back to Buffalo I think I know who I am he knows who I am I don't have to fake anything um I'm happy with my job I think things are working out right so my anxiety hasn't been as prevalent but I think the biggest thing was that I've kind of learned just not to care about things as much, um, which I don't know how that really happened. But over the past few years, I realized it's putting things into perspective where do I really need to be worrying about this right now? Is it really that big of a deal? And then moving forward, 2017, 2018 was pretty stressful in terms of transitioning to like different jobs, moving. Um, I had some health issues and I ended up getting skin cancer, which wasn't like a major deal after the fact, but knowing that like, oh, I think I might have cancer. And then I had um, a benign tumor in my neck. Some of those things just kind of put things into perspective, even though it wasn't like eventually, it wasn't life threatening, but you just remember that, hey, I don't have to worry about like not getting a note done because I have to get something removed from my body now. Um, So things like that kind of wake you up a little bit. I think also like having other family members and close friends struggle with like big real life issues like cancer and death and all of that. All those other little things just don't matter. So I've been able to just not care about those things as much anymore, which I call it active um, avoidance. For myself, when I feel like I'm struggling or if I feel like this is something I would probably be anxious over, I kind of just ignore it. But for me, it works because I'm not outwardly anxious all the time. I still have anxieties, but I cope with them better. So I kind of just put it away, pretend like it's not bothering me in that moment until I can find the time to dedicate to address that issue where I feel strong enough that I can handle it. And it gives me time to put it into perspective of mm. where is it rating right now? So it's worked for me the last couple of years where I'm really surprised that I'm not as anxious as I used to be because buying a house, getting married, those are huge things. And I was not anxious during them. I Even with the house, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just buy another one, which is normally not the process. Um, 
but the last few years I've like have not had like anxiety attacks Hmm. I really am intrigued by that idea of active avoidance because in some ways I think when you're anxious or when people are in panic situations it's because you think the situation is very dire and what you're describing is actually a way of saying to yourself this isn't dire and immediate I can deal with this later exactly and if I and if I get to it later and it's still a pressing issue I had the time to process it and work through it and figure out how can I deal with it in that moment versus maybe it wasn't even a problem so something that it's probably not going to worry me in 10 years or five years or next week then it doesn't mean anything so at least giving it that time to like put it in a closet or wherever I need to put it gives me time to really figure out what the meaning is behind it yeah yeah. But I don't recommend it to everybody because some things you just you need to confront immediately or some people just stuff it down and don't ever let it out. So that's also not something I encourage to do because everything does come out if it needs to. The things that pass with time, I'm not going to address those issues again because there's no point. But the ones that I've just put away for safekeeping for a little bit so that I could just get a little bit stronger, then I go back to it. Yeah. The other thing that's like resonating with me about that is I think sometimes when people approach anxiety or or other mental health issues, they feel like they always have to do something to fix it. Like it has to be very active all the time and it has to be um, like a regular task or a regular. Mm-hmm. And what you're also talking about is stepping back a little bit and giving yourself space and patience. And it's really hard to do to give that kind of patience when you are taught like what's a coping skill you can do right now I will even if it's something simple like deep breathing or doing some like progressive muscle relaxation all those things are great but sometimes it makes you think more and at least for me like doing those kind of exercises they don't work for me because I'm still in my head so when I do the active um, avoidance I need to fill my head with something else so that I can't think of that thing right there because most of the time the anxieties that happen are because I'm ruminating on it. So I have to remove that completely to distract myself and then focus on something else. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who is struggling with whether it's anxiety, whether it's you know substance use, whether it's just the stress of planning their wedding or trying to pick what school their kid goes to. What could be a first step that someone takes to help feel more connected with themselves in those decisions? I think everybody's different, so it's hard to give it a specific answer. I think for those situations, for myself, it's first checking in with yourself to see if you have the capacity to address any issue right now. Like, are you emotionally available to yourself to give it time to think about it and then if you are to then put it into perspective how big of an issue is this is it life or death and maybe it is and then you have to act a little bit more immediately (laughs) but if it's a smaller issue it's not and is it something you need to address right now and then if it is something you should address then it's breaking it down into what steps and can you do it yourself or do you need assistance and that's a big thing that I can't always do it on my own and I'm aware of that so then I ask for help and it's not like hey help help me but it's having that conversation it's getting it out there to someone that I know 
can at least be a sounding board or physically I need your assistance with this. And I think that's what some people struggle with is asking for that help. They think that they have to put it all on themselves if it's a situation that only impacts themselves. But in reality, if you are struggling as an individual, you are probably impacting a lot of other people. So you do need help from others. Um, So I... Travis is my go-to. Sometimes my mom's my go-to. It depends on the issue, but usually they're the two main people um, outside of like my personal stuff and my own personal process that I go through. Yeah. And it's also that, that knowing that you talked about earlier that like there are other people that have been through this process that have struggled with this kind of stuff. You're not the first person to... Exactly. And even in the most extreme situations, you're probably still not the only person that has gone through this, maybe in a different way, but someone else can give advice or just give suggestions or just say that you're not alone. And again, to normalize a situation because a lot of the times when I was having anxiety, in the moment, you feel like you're the only one that's struggling with that particular issue. And in reality, there's, it's not, you're not the only one, but you feel that way. So it's helpful to normalize a situation. Yeah. So I want to put to you the question that I've put to all of my guests, and it's about the definition of faith. So the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines faith in three ways. The first is as an allegiance or a duty to something. The second is as a belief or trust in something greater than yourself. And the third is as something you believe or know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so I want to put each part of that definition to you as a question. So for you, Jen, what do you feel a duty or allegiance to? So I feel like the answer is everyone. Um, I have allegiance to my husband. I have an allegiance to my family, to some of my friends, to my job. I logically know that I should have an allegiance to myself and a duty to myself, but I don't prioritize myself as that important. It's something I'm working on where I realize I can't put everybody before me. Um, but I am very loyal, I think, to those I love. Yeah. What do you put faith or trust in that is bigger than yourself? So part of it is my family and my friends and my loved ones where I feel like as an adult, I've done a pretty good job of picking people to stay in my life versus just growing up, you just want friends or people around you. Um, So I think the people that are still left in my life, I trust them enough that they love me and want the best for me. So when I can't make the best decision or don't know how to make the best decision, I can go to them for guidance and they're going to steer me in the right direction. They might not always have the right answers, but they might have the path that will help me get to the right answers, I think. So I definitely trust other people to want the best for me. Um, And then in addition to that, like knowing from my side of my personal way, I pray. Um, It's something that 
I have done as a child. I don't remember when I started, but it's become a routine again, because I like routines and organization and everything. But I pray every single night to just make sure that I am on the right path. I'm doing what I need to be doing and that everything's going to work out in the long run. That is pretty much how I end my prayers, that whatever is happening, it's happening for a reason. Mm. Yeah. And what is something that you know or believe beyond a shadow of a doubt? And I do, I put this question to everyone because I do think that there are things at the core of each of us that we really strongly feel connected with and feel true to us. I agree. And going back to the very beginning, I believe in God. I'll call it God. It's the easiest term to use, I think. But I know that there is something else out there. I think there is a bigger plan for Mm -hmm. all of us. Not to say that I can't control my own destiny. Like, I think I have free will. I make my choices and what happens is on me. Um, But also, I think I'm just a little blip in this bigger plan. So sometimes when I start to worry or have doubt, it's also thinking this is just a little, it's insignificant in in the real realm of things. Something out there is bigger than all of this. And it will work out one way or the other. And that's just ultimately having faith. I think sometimes it's an easy cop-out because you don't have to worry about something like, oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. But that is the faith. And for me, it's a positive excuse. It's not like I'm just giving up on life because something else is out there. But I take it as a positive for me. Yeah. So do you have a spiritual practice that connects you with your sense of faith or hope? And it can be a practice that you do a daily basis or weekly or monthly, but something that you do with regularity that connects you to that part of yourself. So I have two. One is more just routine based. So I mentioned that I pray. Um, I pray every night. It is routine if I don't do it. So I may accidentally fall asleep um, before I pray. I tend to wake up somehow in the middle of the night, realize I didn't, and then I'll pray then. It's something I've always done. I change the prayers a little bit to match the issues that I'm struggling with now. But from being a little child, it's still like I say some of the same pieces from before. Um, So that's one thing I do on a regular basis that really doesn't fail. And that keeps me connected. Um, It also reminds me of who is in my life because I do a long list of the people I specifically pray for and then I do like a general prayer for everybody but I like go through the names of everyone that I need like specifics for Um, so that kind of just puts me back into a moment of what's really important the other thing that I do more in terms of like personal like strength and to help with that active avoidance is cooking and baking Mm -hmm. so I think I started baking first in high school it was just like a fun thing to do um but i think i started to realize that it was also like a coping skill for me not completely putting a label on it then but looking back i know that it was and then as i got older i started cooking a little bit more and now i do it on a regular basis so it's definitely not something i'm great at all the time but it's not about that piece of it it's really the process of it that makes me feel really good so 
you know, it's finding the recipe. It's doing that search first. It's looking at the ingredients. It's going shopping. I love food shopping um, because in that it's part of the whole experience of just getting myself like fixed on that moment um, because I tend to go off and my mind wanders. So this has to keep me on that specific path. So I go do my food shopping. I come home. If I have a specific recipe, I will have all the ingredients out on my countertop, the measurements, everything that I need for that recipe. And then I am just focused on that. So typically I multitask, but when it comes to cooking, I only multitask for that recipe. So if I'm like chopping and like sauteing, I can do that. But anything else I try to eliminate. So sometimes, you know, Travis will come home or he'll come out and like start talking to me and I need to like make him leave because he's disrupting my personal like this is where I get centered and I don't think he ever fully realized that because it was just something I also just do as part of like household chores I guess but when I'm doing it I'm not thinking of anything else because I can't because I mess up the recipe if I should think about anything else so if I'm worried about something if I'm stressed about work I will cook or I will bake it just gives me that time to not think about anything Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's solely that recipe and then when it's done and the final product is either good or bad typically I get good responses and feedback from things that I make. So then that's also like an added bonus that you get the compliment and like you make someone happy. So it's not about them saying, oh, wow, you're so good at what you did. But like they are just like people like to be fed for the most part. So it pleases another person. And I really do get joy when other people are happy. Like So for me, I... I just like to do it because it puts me in a place where I can just ground myself in the moment because most of the time, the rest of the time throughout the day, I am everywhere else. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And you can find Jen Lochran's spiritual practice, Mindful Cooking, in the Spiritual Practice Library at keepingfaithpod.com where you can listen to her guide you through it and try it out for yourself. Keeping Faith is produced by Ron Kelly and Marin Smith. Our music is by Ron Kelly and our design is by Barbara Kowalski. If this episode spoke to you, you can subscribe or leave us a review. But more importantly, pass it along to someone you care about. It's one way we can encourage each other to keep faith. Next week, I'll be talking to James Hampton about how after stepping into his first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting as an atheist, he came to find his higher power. So until then, holding you in hope and faith, I'm Marin Smith. See you next week.